This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko, and today is a very special episode. We've announced that we're going to be doing some solo shows, and this one is mine. Today we're going to be talking about some of the specifics of the fight scenes in the Marvel films, and a little bit of the extended media as well, because there is a lot that I can dig my teeth into when I'm not within the time constraints of a normal Lorecast episode. So I'm super, super excited to be talking. Um, I'm going to be talking about a couple of things, uh, three that come to mind specifically whenever I'm talking about a fight scene that gets me excited. So the first one that I'm going to be talking about is the bus fight sequence from Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings. I'm also going to be talking about the hallway fight sequence from Daredevil, the Netflix show. And then I'm going to cover the fight between the Dora Milaje, uh, John Walker, Bucky Barnes, and the Falcon and Battlestar in Falcon and the Winter Soldier because all of those fight scenes have elements of real martial arts and actual fighting as well as great stunt work, dedication from the actors, and real true grit. So without further ado, I think we should just jump right into it. Uh, Again, this is going to be releasing right before the holidays. So Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa. Merry Yuletide, and whatever else you celebrate, I hope you have a great time. If you're traveling, please stay safe, be safe, enjoy your vacation or holiday time away from work, and spend some time with the people that you love most. With that, let's dive into Shang-Chi, a guy who certainly isn't having a happy Christmas with most of his family. This movie surprised me. I expected it to fall so deeply into some deeply problematic and racist tropes, especially given the time that it released with everything that was going on in the world. And I'm sure Psyche and I will dig further into all the controversies and potentially any of the issues going on in the world that may have affected you know, the production of this movie. But today, we're talking about the fights. This movie's chock full of great ones, and overall, I think this had some of the best action sequences that we have ever seen in the MCU. I have very, very few complaints about the fight sequences in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and upon re-watching some of the big fight scenes from this movie, it got me super stoked to talk about it, because I went through and picked out a couple of the things that I noticed that come from real life, and I'm super excited to be digging my teeth into it. So the big fight scene that I think a lot of people come back to, especially people doing reaction videos or analysis or anything like that, is the bus sequence from that 
movie. Early on, it's his first real big fight. We kind of see that he's getting in shape, he has a workout routine, whatever, but the guy is a valet and he parks cars for a living, so we don't really think very much of him. And before this fight even starts, his friend Katie even says, I think you've got the wrong guy. Does he even look like he can fight? Um, you know, looks can be deceiving, but personally, when I look at Simu Lu, I definitely see a guy that can fight. He has the stature and the build, and he got an incredible shape for this film. So props and hats off to you, dude. I watched the video of his main workout routine, and then on top of that, having to learn the fight choreography and becoming enough of a martial artist to do most of his own stunt work. I know there was a fair amount of, of stunt guy work too, but I know he did a lot of intensive training for the martial arts, and I can always, always, always respect that. Um, because, you know, some of my favorite actors also happen to be fighters. I think a lot of times it's easier for a fighter to become an actor. We see this with people like George St-Pierre, who played George Batroc in the Captain America films. We see this with Michael Bisping, who has an upcoming role in Red Sonja. And oftentimes when you're trying to teach an actor to become a fighter, there is a big deficit. Because unless they have an incredible amount of natural athleticism, to teach someone to move effectively and convincingly like a trained fighter within the span of a movie production. So give or take like three months. To put it into perspective, an average fight camp for a UFC fighter is going to be about eight weeks. Some fighters take as many as much as 12 weeks and it varies from person to person. But a fight camp to prepare someone who already knows how to fight is eight weeks and a lot of times with the production of films people are given like eight weeks to learn how to move like the guy who already knows how to fight and has to be ready for a fight in eight weeks that's insane and a lot of the action stunt work within shang chi was so seamless and so effortless looking because the actors put the time in they they tried so hard and they learned so much to go into this movie and it really 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 shows on film especially in this first fight scene with shang chi so this fight starts out with some guys harassing sean and katie and katie's saying you know oh you know you've got the wrong guy whatever whatever and then the fight breaks out and Shang-Chi unleashes this absolutely devastating side punch. And while that's not my preferred method of throwing a punch, I prefer my knuckles to be uh, parallel instead of vertical. That's a nitpick for me because I, I, I am primarily a boxer or a kickboxer. And so that's how your punches tend to land. Considering that his main fight style is karate, seeing that sideways fist is perfectly acceptable. Rather... Kung Fu, Karate, kind of an umbrella term for a lot of those more traditional Chinese martial arts. So that side punch, fully acceptable. Not my style, but a style. Uh, he then launches down into this battle where he is taking out guys and also minding his environment. And what I absolutely love to see was that this movie 
didn't lose sense of perspective, and then it also tracked each individual opponent that Shang-Chi had around this train so that you knew that if he took a guy out, that guy was taken out. Or if he didn't quite completely knock that guy out, you were going to see him come back later in that fight. So, well done with all of that. I also enjoyed seeing him use his environment, like he's jumping over seats and going around the poles and using his athleticism and his acrobatic prowess to take out these guys because they were portrayed to be bigger than him and stronger than him and he kind of had also the added challenge of having multiple people coming at him in this fight. And then we get the big guy with the machete arm. I really liked it when they had this guy come in because one thing that is a huge game changer in a fight is range and they introduce this guy who has an extra foot and a half two foot of reach on Shang-Chi who is also probably 60 pounds lighter than this guy that he's meant to fight and on top of that it's almost like fighting someone with a spear when they have that much of a reach advantage on you. So I think in this instance, he did the right thing because he kept trying to isolate that machete arm. He kept trying to get inside the additional reach of that machete arm. And then he wanted to separate the civilians and his friend Katie from the danger. So utilizing his environment, he grabs the guy's arm and then cuts off the back half of the train using its kind of plasma superheated cutting tool on the edge and then separates the half back half of the bus so that you know he and Katie and all the civilians that happened to be on the train could get away and be safe. Uh, I also liked watching him use his jacket to tie up the limbs of several of the people that he was fighting. And this is something we call a, like a flexible weapon. You can, um, I've practiced techniques like this with takedowns and chokes and, and the like with scarves, like an infinity scarf or just a really long piece of fabric. And the same can be applied when tying up limbs and doing disarms and throws utilizing the jacket. It was very clever. It was very well done. It hearkened back to films starring Bruce Lee. There are um, moments in his films where he would do the same jacket reversal and tie up limbs. They moved very similarly. And that is why Kung Fu is the fighting style that is most prevalent here in this scene. Uh, as well as Kali and Silat and arts like that. Uh, this is a very gritty tactical style of fighting, and it does well in the urban environment. Uh, ultimately, I really enjoyed the fight scenes in Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings because it not only gave us the kung fu elements and the big spectacle and the and the you know the dazzling uh, movements and, and and the pretty showmanship, it also gave us grit and hard strikes. This movie made an impact when punches were being thrown, and I so loved to see it. Uh, we are getting a fighter who's coming in with that very diverse, varied striking style so prevalent with the kung fu and karate-based fighting systems, while also considering the urban environment and the tactical needs of the fight considering some of the people he was up against had knives guns machete arms things like that so 
really, really cool, Marvel, to see a fight scene put together like this. I, I know they did a lot of this practically. There were some elements of the bus that were not there. I know some of the poles were CGI'd in after the fact uh, to give the actors room to maneuver, and I think that was a great choice because while it, it would it showed a it showed a, a dynamic style of shooting that I don't think we've really seen a whole lot of and I so want to see more of it because those up close personal fight scenes really drive home the fact that you know these are um, these are fights these are in your face they are dangerous you're meant to be uncomfortable because you're being crowded and it almost feels like you're in that fight watching it I also cracked up laughing when they had that guy on the camera phone saying you know what up it's your boy I used to do some martial arts when I was younger so I'm gonna try to break down and rate this fight a little bit it's so funny because it it so reminds me of like some of these media outlets and some of these commentators that I'll listen to when I'm doing uh, when I'm doing some some fight analysis and they're talking about uh, fights that have happened or street fights or world star stuff. It's it's really funny and really cool. So uh, I thought that was a really funny little little nod and a little joke. And uh, ultimately, my only nitpicks with Shang Chi and the fighting styles that they employ. So kung fu, silat, kali, uh, a little bit of kickboxing, like Thai boxing stuff like that. Uh, taekwondo with some of the the bigger kicks and and flurries uh, as well as you know um the you know the tai chi style energy movement uh, i really liked it but my one nitpick was uh probably the big move that you know a lot of people were kind of making poking fun at or mimicking with the music it's that big sweeping step around thing that Shang-Chi and his mother and his auntie do. I'm not a fan. Because if you step behind like that in a real fight, you're probably going to get knocked over. It's very unbalancing. It's not normal. I, it's been drilled into my head between my boxing coach and my MMA that you don't step behind your lead foot with your back foot. It's a good way to put yourself off balance and make yourself vulnerable to a strike to the outside. Um, it's not practical in most capacities unless you're really going to throw a kick, in which case you're broadcasting badly. But realistically, if that's my only nitpick with the fighting scenes in Shang-Chi, so be it. I can get over all of the more fantastical stuff. Um... You know, they showed the meteor hammer, and I thought most of the techniques there were very good, as well as the fighting with the rings. There's not really a real-life weapon that mimics those rings, other than maybe some maybe boomerangs or the meteor hammer in some capacity. It's really more like an amplification of a of a of a hand-to-hand -hand style, and. I also liked that each fighter had their own energy. Shang-Chi was very precise and practical and uh, in control, and his strikes stopped exactly where he wanted. Xu Shaoling, her fighting style is very aggressive and quick and snappy like a viper. Um, their father, his fighting style was very strong, almost more like a Muay Thai style where you could almost feel every time that he would come to a stop or throw a strike. There was a big echo or a big shake uh, to accompany every single strike. And then their mother has this very dancing, flowing, gentle style while also remaining very powerful. And I just really enjoyed 
all of that. So great job to Shang-Chi, and I can't wait to talk about the film itself at length because uh, it had a lot of good things going for it to go along with the fight scenes. All right, so I'm going to talk about a smaller fight scene that's real quick, go to a mid-break, and then go into the two uh, other bigger fights that I wanted to highlight. Shang-Chi was the big one. The next one I want to talk about is the straight-up boxing match in Captain America Civil War between Crossbones and Captain America. I didn't mention that I was going to talk about this one earlier. It came to mind while I was talking about uh, tactical arts during Shang-Chi, and this is completely off script and off riff, but whatever. This is a fun episode, and this is a fun episode for me, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, I don't, I would not want to be the guy when I'm going into filming Captain America Civil War uh, that tells Frank Grillo, hey, you get to box Captain America mano a mano. Because it was said during the production of the elevator scene in Captain America the Winter Soldier that Grillo didn't care about eating punches and was just actually hitting Chris Evans and Callan Mulvey and all the other stunt guys. And that makes me laugh. It really does. Uh, I can completely sympathize with where he's coming from from there because I don't think you can sell a fight scene convincingly unless a couple people are eating a couple of fists and elbows. So, cool, cool, cool. I loved this very brief fight scene. I wanted so much more for Crossbones, and I know we just talked Crossbones in our character episode, and I'm probably going to briefly talk Crossbones again during the Civil War episode, but here's what I took away from this fight. Captain America can box. I'm finally very happy with his boxing especially during this fight sequence. He throws a beautiful slip uppercut and he keeps that hand tucked right up on his cheek. And I loved to see it. Excellent technique. I also think that with Frank Grillo in the crossbones suit, he didn't really have a choice. Otherwise, Grillo was going to come around with a hook and take his head off. Frank Grillo is a very accomplished boxer and he boxes regularly at Fortune Boxing Gym with Justin Fortune, who is an illustrious boxing coach with a huge record and amazing fighters that come out of his gym. He also is a regular sparring partner for Chris Van Heerden, who is the WBO welterweight champion, or he was at one time. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing right this moment. And he also trains, I believe, he trains at Box and Burn with Tony Jeffries, who is an English boxer who's also incredible. I honestly think, and I don't know anything about the behind the scenes of this scene particularly, but watching Crossbones throw these absolutely perfect boxing techniques. If if I could critique boxing and film in any capacity, I would just show them the five seconds of Crossbones boxing with Captain America because it's absolutely beautiful. He throws this uppercut hook combination, he moves his head, he ducks and weaves, Moves like a grade A, class A, amazing, real-life boxer. I absolutely love it. Chef's kiss, perfection. And I think that's a large testament to Frank Grillo, who is an incredible boxer in his own right. Um, with that, I think this is a great opportunity to take a quick mid-break and discuss everything else that I have going on. 
All right, welcome to the mid-break. It feels a little bit weird to be here by myself, I'm not going to lie. Psych, I'm missing you, and I can't wait to get back to normal shows. But with the holidays, it is what it is. We're all crazy busy right now. We still want to be putting out shows for you guys, and we're super excited about moving into the new year and all of the things that we have moving forward with you guys. So, announcements. Where else can you find me? I am one of the hosts of The Fight Space. It is a martial arts podcast, female-led, where we discuss the culture, the actors, the movies, the media, and all of that good jazz surrounding the fighting community. We'll also talk about fighter profiles, super fights from history, and anything happening recently within the world of mixed martial arts and all of the sports surrounding it. If you're interested in any of that, definitely check out The Fight Space. You can find it on Spotify and across social media as The Fight Space or The Fight Space 1 on Twitter. We also have a Patreon. If you guys haven't joined us on Patreon, definitely consider it. We've got a couple of different tiers. If you join at the Tier 4 level or higher, you can join us for monthly patron chats. We currently don't have any new patrons to shout out, but if you'd like to join us there, definitely consider it. If you can't support us financially, of course, you can always find us on the Discord. You can find us on social media as the MCU Lorecast. We're fairly active on Twitter primarily. We also have a presence on Facebook and Instagram, so definitely check us out there. Leave any reviews that you'd like. You can drop a review on, on uh, Apple Podcasts, or you can leave a five-star rating on Spotify. It helps. We would appreciate you. We love you. And with that, that's all I have for a mid-break, and I'm ready to jump straight back into part two, so let's get with it. Okay, so the next fight I'm going to be covering is the hallway fight sequence from Daredevil. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to make sure that there's a link in the description for this fight and, and all of the fights that I talk about here, but definitely for this one because, man, Daredevil as a whole had some of the best fight scenes in Marvel, and I'm really sad that um, the Netflix series didn't continue further because I really enjoyed it. That being said, this fight scene... When I saw it for the very first time, I just remember thinking, wow, they put some time into this. I loved it because to my knowledge, it was shot primarily in one shot. It was shot with one camera going straight down that hallway and you could feel every single punch like you were there. Uh, one thing to highlight about Matt Murdock is that his father was Batlin Jack Murdock and he was a professional boxer. So, as such, you'd expect to see Daredevil taking on some advanced boxing techniques, and we definitely see it. Like I mentioned with the, with the fight between Crossbones and Cap, how Cap was keeping those hands tucked right up by his cheeks. With traditional American boxing, you want to keep your hands high. As a rule of thumb, you're going to want to keep, and one of the things my MMA coach used to tell me is... You want to put your knuckles on your cheekbones and you want to look straight over the top of your gloves. So that's primarily what you want to see. This allows you to guard punches. It allows you to protect from the hooks. You can easily slip your hand up by your ear to cover up. You can move your head to the side. 
we see some excellent head movement during this fight from Matt Murdock. He moves his head side to side. He slips, slips. He moves his head back. He gives up very little ground. We also get to see some incredible varied striking. He even gives us not one, not two, but like three separate Anthony Showtime Pettis off the wall punch jump kicks. And I loved every second of it. Um, I also so appreciated that during the course of this fight, you could progressively see not only Matt Murdock, but the guys that he is wailing on getting tired. Fight fatigue is a real thing, especially fully clothed, especially in an enclosed space indoors like that, and especially against multiple opponents or a very, very tough opponent. One thing I always said about Matt Murdock during his fight sequences is that they portrayed him as being very durable very well. There are guys in real life who fight that are super durable like that. A couple that come to mind are Johnny Hendricks and even um, Michael Bisping, who's one of my favorite MMA fighters. They can eat damage during their fights and they portrayed this by having Matt eat an awful lot of head trauma. Um, it, it's a little bit hard to watch at times because I know what it's like to get hit. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. There are a lot of times too where um, in a fight when you're full of adrenaline there's a certain level of pain that your body can take there's a certain level of pain that hurts, and then there's a certain level of pain that kind of numbs you to whatever's going on. And I think that that Matt just beats himself up to the point where he's in that I'm numb to everything and I don't feel it uh, sense because there's no other way he'd be walking through these fights like he does. Uh, this hallway fight is a testament to that. He's fighting like five, six separate guys. I loved that bit when they go into that side room and the big guy comes around the corner and Matt just throws a microwave out the doorway and hits him in the head and he goes down. They go down into the hall and he's fighting some more, throwing punches. Um, you can see at some points when he's going for some joint control, his hand comes over the limb and cups the joint or the hand or the arm or muscle group to confine and restrict that limb so that he can continue to fight. There's even parts where, you know, he's holding down a limb and moving parts aside and standing in a certain way where his opponent can't get their legs up and over, they can't cover up, and he can just go to town wailing on them. The fight sequences in Daredevil were extremely well done, and I'm so glad that they didn't ignore the fact that Daredevil in the comics is considered one of the best hand-to-hand -hand combatants across the universe. He's gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with some incredible fighters, and he also has those enhanced senses and they do a great job displaying that there are parts where he's having punches thrown at him and he is just deftly ducking out of the way like he can see it coming he can sense a strike before it's thrown because of his heightened senses and they utilize those as tools extremely well and i absolutely appreciated and loved seeing it um, daredevil again those fight scenes so gritty so personal borderline brutal and hard to watch because he always gets bloodied up he always takes damage during his fights and it's always incredible and edge of your seat and pulse pounding to watch and i really really hope that they continue to do amazing things with daredevil because the uh, the ability that they have to give him some incredible standout fight scenes is endless completely endless the last fight i really want to talk about 
is the fight that the Dormelage have initially against John Walker and then, you know, Bucky and, and Sam jump in during Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This fight sequence really showcased the skill of the Dora Milaje, and I love what they did with the Dora. Specifically because we don't see a ton of characters using a long-range weapon, and I so love spear and bow staff work. Now, I couldn't find anything specifically where they stated a specific martial art that they were uh, replicating or utilizing. I know a lot of martial arts have a bow staff form, but what it looked like to me was some kind of amalgamation between Taekwondo and Tongsudo, which are both martial arts that I have practiced. I've done bow staff in both and a lot of the spinning techniques that they utilize are a little bit more prevalent in Taekwondo. And a lot of the jumping and the striking techniques are a little bit more reminiscent of Tung Sudo. Because Tung Sudo tends to be more about breathing, taking your pauses, and striking with power. Whereas Taekwondo tends to be snappy and quick. So during this fight sequence, John puts his hand on the shoulder of one of the warriors, and she doesn't take too kindly to it. And he was very, he was very disrespectful and almost dismissive of the skill of the Dora, because he says, you know, you don't have jurisdiction here. And she retorts with, the Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. And you can't really argue with that, because I always say, if you can't beat me in a fight, you're not in charge of me. I'm kidding, that's mostly a joke, but the truth stands that if you can't beat someone in a fight, you're probably not gonna tell them what to do. And this is no more apparent than when John decides that he's gonna fight the Dora. He gets his butt kicked to the point where Sam even says, are we gonna do something? And Bucky goes, looking strong, John. I absolutely loved that. Um, we had been set up, obviously, to dislike John Walker. And this is, of course, no hate towards the actor, guys. Moving on. They eventually, Bucky and, and, Steve, and Sam eventually jump into the fray. Bucky gets disarmed, quite literally. And I liked seeing how she just reaches out and almost taps a pressure point. So that's uh, really, really cool. It's almost like she she just does this special maneuver, a pressure point, and the arm drops off. And Bucky didn't even know that his arm did that. Sam gets tossed around and smacked with the butt of a spear a couple of times. But John Walker is really the one taking the brunt of it. One of the spears is embedded in the into a pillar, and he ends up thrown against it. He ends up with his shield attached to the table with the, you know, with the spear point going right past his arm. This showcases a precision and an accuracy from the Dora Milaje. That is insane. They didn't do any more damage to the surrounding area or to the people they were fighting than they fully intended to do. And showing that level of control and that level of precision in their fighting was so super cool to see. You don't see it 
very often where they are both strong, powerful, in control, and precise while also utilizing incredible technique, high fight IQ, and an amazing spatial awareness of the likes is very rarely seen, especially with ranged weapon combat. Uh, every single strike landed exactly where they wanted it to. Nothing was done without intent. They were able to effortlessly take down four very highly trained men because John Walker, even though we're set up not to like him, and he is certainly no Steve Rogers, is not a slouch. You know, military combatives, active duty military, 100 accolades to his name. He was no slouch. He could fight. Certainly not Avengers level. But he completely dismisses the Dora, and then they take him to school. Super, super cool. One of my favorite fights. And with that, that's really all I have tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed my closer and in-depth deep dive into a couple of my favorite fight scenes from the MCU. Next week, Sykes going to be talking some comic history, and I hope you guys will tune back in with us to listen to that. I have had a really great time breaking these down. Again, if you guys have any questions or want me to break down any other specific fights for you, please drop a message over Discord or through any of the other services that we utilize. Leave a five-star review on Spotify or, or on Apple Podcasts. Share the show with your friends. Enjoy your holidays. And with that, this has been the MCU Lorecast. I've been Captain Shanko. Good night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robot Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.